Tis the season to shine with H&M. Discover the holiday collection and find fashionable pieces for your wardrobe or for under the tree. Get inspired and dazzle with this year's glam. From tuxedo styles, bow detailed pieces, impressive prints, and more. From unforgettable looks to unforgettable gifts. With fashion finds to home decor, find it all at H&M. Treat your loved ones and yourself this season. Shop in-store or at hm.com. Hey, everybody. So I had a couple of requests for some links for books on my website. I forgot to put the link for uh, Trapped in the Mirror, which was the book about narcissism. It's on there now. And then someone asked me to put the link for Strong at the Broken Places, which is a book I had talked about with Kathy a couple of episodes back. Both of those are on my website, as well as our current book club book that we're reading called Better Than Before. Um, And here comes Bert in my intro. Yes? Nothing. I'm doing my intro for my podcast. For this one? I'm recording it right now. Okay. Okay. I'll be right out. I'm going to be in Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> Bert will be in Birmingham, Alabama at the Stardome. I don't know the dates, June 14th or something, but whatever. Anyway, this episode is about addiction. I've been really looking forward to doing this episode for a long time. One of my friends... Uh, is a therapist who for years worked in sober living uh, facilities. She ran sober living facilities and counseled people through her uh, practice with addiction. Her name is Amy, and she and Kathy were my guests today. Kathy was a social worker when she lived in Maine, and she worked in a homeless shelter that had a lot of addicted teens that she dealt with. So I've been dying to get these two on this podcast to talk about addiction. And I had a a, a, a brush with addiction this morning, actually, which uh, is so crazy. I was working at my desk, and my dog starts going bananas and at, the wind, at our front window. And I look out the window, and this man has collapsed on my front yard. So he's white as a sheet, just like, I mean, could not have been more white. So I kind of poke my head outside, and I go, okay, this guy is clearly on a drug so I called 911 and 911 was like go outside and talk to him and see if you if you can keep him awake until well, you know fire department's been dispatched they're on their way but see if you can keep him awake and I was really scared to do that not because I was scared of him I was scared he was dead like I was so scared that I was going to walk out there and this guy would be dead I, I was so emotional watching this kid he was in his 20s he had a huge bandage on his neck and uh so i just was really flipped out that somebody th- thinks this is okay for them to live like this is is awful he's laying in my front yard he has no idea where he is i don't think so i walk outside to tr- to talk to him which I'm scared to death to do, and he sits up. So he props himself up on his arms. He's like propped up on his hands, and he drool and snot just start pouring out of his mouth because his head is kind of nodded over. And I was like, well, he's up, so I know he's alive. So I went back in onto the phone with the 911 guy, and I said, listen, he's, he's propped himself up when I walked outside. He's now upright, at least, so I know he's alive. And he said, go out there and talk to him and keep him alert. And I was like, oh, dude, the guy's got, like, snot and drool. and the, uh, uh, Okay, so I'm, like, on my way to go back out, and the fire department pulls up. So I just stand on the front porch because I don't want to be... I don't want to be in the way. This is none of my business, really, other than it's in my yard. And the fire department 
walks up to the guy. He wipes like the snot off his face. And the fire department goes, you okay? No response. And the guy goes, um, are you on some medication? The fire department. And the young man just shakes his head no. And the fireman says, did you take some drugs? And the guy shakes his head no again. And he said, uh, the guy starts rubbing the side of his head. And the fire department, the fireman says, did something happen? And he nodded his head yes. And he said, why don't you tell me what happened? And the guy nodded his head no. And he said, do you need to go to the hospital and get some help? And the guy got up and walked off. I was so flipped out. He just stood up and walked off as if he had never been drooling in my yard two seconds earlier. I don't know how that guy did that. How you could be in such a dozed off state and then just get up and walk away at the threat of being taken to the hospital for help. It was awful. It was such an awful thing to witness because it broke my heart for this guy who was clearly in such bad shape of all people that needed to be taken to the hospital for help. He needed to be taken to the hospital for help. And I understand I'm sure the fireman can't forcibly take him because he was coherent and he was responding. I'm sure there's some legality where that's concerned. But I thought, that's really tragic. He should be put in the ambulance and taken for help because he clearly is in such terrible shape. So I hope that guy's okay. Um, I feel really bad for people who feel like that is an acceptable way to pass through this life, which is really a gift to all of us. So anyway, this uh, episode is about addiction and um I learned a lot in this episode. Um, we talk about the difference between like a chemical, like a like a genetic addict, and someone who's an addict from trauma. We talked about treatments that work and treatments that don't work. Um, it, I thought it was a really good episode, so I hope you enjoy it. I hope you learned something because I sure did. And uh, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. So I wanted you to come today specifically, Amy, because uh, so many people have been asking me about addiction. Yes. And I know you're, tell me what you do so people know. I'm a therapist. Yes. And I've spent many, many years in the field of addiction. Okay. Since I was training, I was trained in it from, I would say, 1998 on. And I've worked in several recovery centers. Wow. And I know a lot about it personally. Yeah. (laughs) There's good family research. Uh, Kathy has some experience in this too. She was a heroin addict. Just kidding. <laughs> no, it's true. Yes. I did not know that about you. 
That's why she's so I've thin. recovered nicely. Yeah, <laughs> no, really have. Most people just kind of, you know, they right. get that. Die. Yeah. Die. <laughs> Die. Or they're preserved. No, truly with hair and axe, they're preserved right. for a long amount of time and they stop and then they age rapidly. Have you ever seen that? No. Oh, have you seen? Like, I got gray hair. So okay. It's hold happening. on. Yeah. Wait. What happens? It's like embalming fluid for the body. I mean, they are, they're like preserved fabulously and then they finally when they get stop clean? using, they get clean. It's almost like somebody who has a gastric bypass and loses weight too fast and has excess skin. They just look like they're sucked up into their body like the aging process finally begins is what it looks like but do they then fast forward to where they should be or do they go past oh they, they look like they go past they look like they lived hard lives well they have yeah yeah but it finally catches up with them so before we get to more yes. kathy tell heroin me addicts. how you have some uh some experience besides your own heroin addiction <laughs> which is not true but you look like you've weathered beautifully <laughs> yeah. thank you i clearly i'm still using yeah. um <laughs> uh, i was a social worker i don't have as much addiction experience i dealt with a lot of kids who were in the beginning stages mm-hmm. of addiction and using and whatnot and we did a lot of family therapy um that had a lot of substance abuse in it but i'm definitely not the expert where was this was this in boston oh, okay I didn't know if you had kept it on when you came here. I knew you were. No, my license didn't transfer when I came here. And then I got pregnant. And try and get it all over again. It's now a long time later. So, yeah. Well, I've always had a bit of a fascination with addiction and with treatments of addiction because. I have an uncle I was very close to who is now passed, who was uh, terribly addicted to alcohol his whole life. Uh, five-time DUI, ended up a felon. I, I got to take him to and from parole every month, which oh, was awesome. Gosh. But I was very close to him. I love him very much. He lived with us for a while when I was a child. My, we were driving around Atlanta, and my mother saw him underneath like an interstate underpass where he, I think, may have been using heroin or something a lot harder at that point that was in the 70s and she took him home and he lived with us for a while i don't think he got sober but i don't think he was using that he was just drinking when he lived with us he he slept in the uh bottom bunk i slept in the top uh he's the sweetest guy he used to call me lee animus (laughs) and i just adored him but he um was terribly addicted he ended up dying of brain cancer he had schizophrenia he was diagnosed with schizophrenic his fifth time in jail when he actually had to spend a lot of time in jail because of his final felon dui and they transferred him to a mental institution to get him kind of stabilized now i was told by my mom that he had um drug-induced or drug-triggered schizophrenia. I don't know if that's an actual thing. You can't have that. Drug-induced psychosis. But that's what she told me. So um, that and when I myself was young, I drank a lot. And I mean like a lot. So I had a DUI. I was in jail with my uncle at the same time. Yes, when I was 20. (laughs) Who took you guys to parole? I know, right? I was was 20 and I was massively drunk and driving and got pulled over at four o'clock in the morning because that's what you do, you know, stay out till four completely hammered we mm-hmm. were going to see Mahaley Lancaster's grave now Mahaley Lancaster was a witch a local witch that had died oh and her God. grave was in this really rural place and it was always covered with lizards and they would they would like replace the street light at this big graveyard and it would never stay on so oh it was like God. pitch black and it's it like <laughs> steeped in all this mystery and Mahaley well I had a personal connection because my grandfather pa- lost his wallet once and he went to Mahaley and she told him where it 
was. It was in this field where he was plowing, and he went and found it exactly where Mahaley said it was. So oh, she was crazy. this real witch. Like, everybody knew her to be this witch. Yeah. So we, of course, got completely hammered <laughs> to go see Mahaley Lancaster's grave, and I got pulled over. And arrested and when they took me back to put me in like the holding cell my uncle was in the holding cell i was like hey terry what's up (laughs) you and me baby they wouldn't let me stay in there with him because there were too many men i had to sit with the female deputy in the office until my ex-boyfriend's drunk dad came and picked me up he was also drunk and they wouldn't let him have me because he showed up at jail drunk to pick up a drunk driver So they didn't call bizarre. your parents? My dad told me if I ever got arrested for jail, not to call him ever. For driving drunk, right. not to ever call him ever. He would not come and get me. And uh, my mom, I think, was in Mexico. Okay. So the only thing I think of is my ex-boyfriend's dad and my dad were best friends in high school growing up. Mm-hmm. So the fir- And my ex-boyfriend was in the car with me. He was my oh. ex at the time. Right. But we were all going to see Mahaley Lancaster. <laughs> so... I was like, well, I'll just call Jeff's dad. I mean, that's, I, I, I can't think of anybody else. Um, so <laughs> I heard I him actually. Towns. Yeah. Right. I, I, I heard him open the front door of the police office. And he, I heard him go, where's my goddamn girl? Where's my goddamn girl? And I went, oh, fuck. Don is totally drunk. <laughs> <laughs> he just picked me up drunk from the drunk tank drunk tank <laughs> and where i'm with my drunk uncle this is really maybe not the best place to be it's Mayor ba- mayberry on, it's on alcohol yeah so i was 20 when i was arrested for drunk driving and continued to drink um was it legal age 21 there 21 okay. and you couldn't drink on sundays because sundays are dry oh so God. i would get that was a saturday night so i was getting my shit done so that saturday right. i was drunk half the day sunday but at that point i was drinking probably six days a week i blacked out all the time um i got you know I was just really out of control with drinking. And it escalated to the point where I had lost my hair from about my ears down in the back of my hair. And uh, it wouldn't grow back. It looked like alopecia, but it wasn't alopecia. So my mom took me to the doctor and the doctor said, her liver is enlarged. And... um, this something's going on and she asked me if i was drinking i was like i don't ever drink never (laughs) are you kidding me with uncle terry there's no way i would ever drink still drinking oh yeah drinking and driving one one day i woke up in my bed with my clothes on but no shoes no coat no purse my bedroom window was open and i realized i had crawled i had I was living in Atlanta in college. I had parked my car, left my car door open, keys in the ignition. So I clearly couldn't find my keys to get in my front door. And I started undressing on the way to my window to get in my house and just drop my purse in the yard, drop my shit everywhere. I had driven home like that. I can't believe that I did that. None of these things woke me up. None of them did. But finally, I met this guy I've talked about before, this guy who's uh, like a Reiki guy. And he was like, you got some issues with your mom. You got to get your shit cleaned up physically because I was having really bad headaches. And he, he was like, you need to love yourself. He, he really came 
to me with drinking with like this is the opposite of loving yourself Mm -hmm. so if you say you want love in your life you have to start with yourself and if you don't love yourself then you can't accept love from anybody so you got to fix this part so I just like cold turkey stopped drinking for seven years I didn't drink anything and I didn't really have any like no withdrawals and my 21st birthday I drank a fifth of absolute by myself all by myself that that's night a party so that's yeah. how much I was drinking <laughs> right. I wasn't that's like how you do it let's just crack a beer right. no I was no. drinking and nobody shall be around to interfere with my drinking because then the bottle will go down a little bit more than I was wanting no to. I was social oh were you and I would share but okay. not on my 21st birthday okay. that was my <laughs> bottle I remember my boyfriend at the time giving it to me and I just walked with it in the crook of my elbow like a baby like the whole night like this one this one's mine and you can all fuck off because this one's mine um so i was i was definitely maybe i was an addict but i was definitely on my way there but since when i took that seven year kind of uh sabbatical from drinking i didn't drink a drop of anything and i dived into therapy and reading self-help books and doing the work in the self-help books like if you're supposed to journal i did it if you're supposed to make a list i did it if you're supposed to meditate i did it if you're supposed to hike i did it and i think that that is that the root of my problem was trauma and i was drinking not to feel so then my path out of that was to feel and then to be okay with that feeling and then like seven years later someone offered me a drink and i was like okay and I had a drink, and I've. I, how often do I drink, Kathy? We drink together, and it's not often, and I yeah. don't ever get hammered. I don't have that. I don't have that same craving. I didn't even. I don't even know that I craved the alcohol. I craved the oblivion. Right. I don't crave that oblivion at all anywhere in my life ever. Well, you've excavated what brought you to that. Uh, I did desire to you know big time. Squish, you know. But I'm curious because I don't think, I think I may be an exception. I don't know that. Well, there's hard drinkers. I mean, they talk about there being hard drinkers. It's not everybody's not an alcoholic. You can drink alcoholically and be a hard drinker where you did it for a specific reason and it, you know, it took care of you and it was your band-aid for that amount of time. And when given sufficient reason to stop, Mm -hmm. they stop. Oh, that like, sounds like Leanne, me. Leanne, you have a heart disease that if you continue drinking, it's going to kill you. You're like, well, that sounds like a really good reason to stop drinking. I think I'll do that. Right. And they stop and it's unbelievable. But an alcoholic, given your family's leaving you, you've lost your house, like given every single reason not to stop, they can't do it. Really? Yeah. That's the difference between someone who's like a hard drinker mm-hmm. and somebody who is labeled an alcoholic. So I think I may be married to a hard drinker. Is every time we go to the doctor, the doctor's like, she, she his MD, his regular doctor, <clears throat> she always says, how's the drinking? How's it going? They monitor his liver, monitor his blood. Everything's healthy. Everything's right. fine. He drinks a lot. But when he stops drinking, he really doesn't have, there's no shaking. There's no sweating. He has a little bit of a mood swing, but it's not like this intolerable for the amount he drinks, you would think he'd be in the hospital. I, I would anyway. I'd right. be like, okay, IV. <laughs> this is bad. But maybe he's just a hard drinker. I've always wondered. I'm not diagnosing him, by the way. But I've always just kind of wondered how that works, right? Well, and, conversely, there are alcoholics who stop drinking uh-huh. for, for limited periods of time. Uh-huh. But they always go back to it. 
Oh, well, that's him too. This is a stop drinking permanently. <laughs> they'll, they'll do it like, you know, I can quit any time. I quit for a month back in, you know, November. And then they go back again. They're like, yeah, but so I did. I showed you I did that so I can keep going now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was called Sober October. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> Which is an odd month to pick to be sober. <laughs> well, given yeah. Germany, you know. Totally. That's why October he did best. it. That's because it was the hardest one. Yeah, that's right. That makes sense. <laughs> So he put a lot of thought into that. If I can do that on the hardest one, then I can <laughs> do, can do it. it. Not taking into account Thanksgiving and Christmas, which right. is pretty hard. Uh, right. Or New Year's. <laughs> Much harder with family around. Come on. So anyway, yeah. Thanksgiving and Christmas. That story I just told is why I'm so interested in addiction is because I went through all that, but I never have felt like an addict. Yeah. And those two things didn't add up to me. How could I be that way? And then it just be gone. So you just explained it that's amazing that uh, that answered something for me like i always have this fear like maybe i do have this addictive gene but i don't have any that proof of that anywhere in my digital i'm not addicted to anything so it would come out in every other i mean kathy you know about this it would come out in other areas of your life it would come out in eating or shopping or smoking or you know that there'd be other areas of your life where the addiction would be evident okay right? so birds I mean, have, have you seen that <laughs> So, first, definitely hey. mad at because have you seen his hats? Oh no. my god, his <laughs> shoes. hats, his shoes. Yes, he just showed you. He bought yes. three pair of he Nikes today, four. and he 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 bought four. Oh Maybe. my god, he showed them to me last night, and I and my head went, "Where am I putting those?" Right. He's like, "Do you like them?" And my reaction was, "Where the fuck am I putting those?" He's like, "You don't like them," and I'm like, "You don't know what I just said in my head." Right, right, right. <laughs> Where right. the fuck am I putting those size thirteen shoes? Oh my god. <laughs> Four, four pairs of oh my 13. god yeah how's he gonna wear them all you know at the same time he like, won't what? he'll wear them once and never look at him again because he's an addict i've now determined between hats booze and shoes and knives and yeah <laughs> he has a bit of an addictive personality he's he gone might, over yeah, a collector <laughs> status he's gone over collector <laughs> status he's yes. crossed the line he's gone all over that it may be into hoarder status <laughs> so yeah. now what which made, is a whole nother diagnosis yeah, yeah, entirely right. a hoarder mind. status oh, yeah. he might ocd <laughs> after the week i spent cleaning out my garage with my dad yeah it might be in hoarder status maybe <laughs> we're rapidly approaching uh-huh. so why did both of you get into this line of work was it by accident was it on purpose was it what was what why <clears throat> uh no it was definitely on purpose yeah without a doubt i mean i'm not sure the whole addiction piece was on purpose i think that comes with the territory anytime you're dealing with any sort of mental health or right. kids going through or anyone going through trauma or whatnot i think that's a very common component i think a lot of people start out feeling the way you do where they just don't want to feel whatever it is they're feeling they can't cope they don't know how they don't have the skills or the tools um so i think that sort of just comes with the territory but Mm -hmm. um no i mean i personally definitely chose going into that field like i knew from a very young age that's what i was gonna do social work yeah or something along those lines. Like origi- <laughs> originally I wanted to be a vet and then I went uh, to watch surgery at my vet's office when I was a kid and fainted. <laughs> I that may not be the best profession for me. Right. But you but knew I needed to, I was like 13 or 14. Was oh, okay. the blood? Um, like a vasovagal response. There was something like, I don't know. I, I don't want to say anesthesia, but there was some smell oh. that I could not tolerate in the operating room. It was olfactory. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Oof. it's hard. But I knew I wanted to help someone. Right. If it couldn't be animals, then I wanted to help kids. And then I started just working with kids at the, from that point on, from the time I was 15. 
and I knew it was going to be something along those lines. That's so. kind of incredible um, that you knew yeah. it that young. Most kids are so selfish that young. They're like, fuck all these kids. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a kid. You're a man for himself. I know, right? Uh, uh, so then you no. just kind of fell into the addiction piece as a sidebar Correct. to what your uh, Yes, that was, was. never okay. my focus at all. Right. It just sort of comes with the territory, I think. I really oh, yeah. believe they go hand in hand very mm-hmm. often. So Probably. I don't know how you and started. And now, Amy, you started studying to be a therapist. Was it for when, at this? At seven. At seven. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, at seven. <laughs> not, not to try and top Kathy, which is a super addict thing to do. <laughs> but <laughs> that's all they do in rehab. It's like, oh, yeah, we're all six times. Oh, no. Oh, my um, God. When I was seven, they put me in my first therapist's office because my parents were going through a divorce, and it was a little War of the Roses-ish. Oh. And... Um, and I finally looked at my mother after like going to, I think it was like three therapists. I finally said to her, if one more fucking shrink tells me that this divorce is not my fault, I'm going to start thinking it is. Like, wow. What's wrong with you people? Right. Like you realize you're hammering the same nail over and over again. And it's like gone past the threshold of the wood by now. Like let it go, you know? Yeah. And fi- and they wouldn't believe me. And I had one that would do these like Warshock tests, these ink tests. Yeah. <laughs> card after card I'm like I see a butterfly I see I told them whatever I saw and because I realized at a young age I wasn't giving the answers that were producing the result that they wanted yeah I finally told her that I saw like my dad stabbing my mother and oh my god oh my god are you kidding (laughs) and my mom pulled me out and she's like are you really seeing that I'm like no but if she shows me one more fucking inkblot I'm gonna scream I mean like what do you want what do you want from me what is the point of those inkblot things anyway there well she was a psychoanalyst and I don't believe in psychoanalysts what is that that mean? It's very neo Freudian. Wait, 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 wait. All right. <laughs> Clearly, I need more information than I actually have. So the, what is a psychoanalyst? Psychoanalysts believe that you should be on the couch three to five times a week, and oh, that you're that. all the root. The root of your problems is all deep seated in your past and your issues with your family, which is not so different than psychodynamic. Psychodynamic kind of takes the pieces of what your experience was growing up and tries to kind of place it in current time and looks at why certain things may have meaning to you. Mm -hmm. Psychoanalysis is much more like, you know, when you are weaned from the breast of your mother, you weren't ready to stop. Like, I mean, and I can't, I can't. Freud was totally coked out. Some of his theories are great. No, he really was. He was using cocaine. Oh Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And he was giving it to his daughter. Like some of his theories were, great and gave us nice forays into the field of therapy some of them were just half cocked and bizarre and he had all sorts of people who were with him like Jung who split from him right um Mm -hmm. Beck who um Beck wasn't with Freud because he came much later but he was a psychodynamic therapist and he went to cognitive he developed cognitive therapy because of it he was so traumatized by it and Jung actually wrote the foreword in the book for Alcoholics Anonymous oh really yeah he actually kind of linked together this kind of this ailment that these people had with the behavior that Mm -hmm. they continued to, you know, be obsessed over for years and years, this obsession. He said it was like an obsession of the mind coupled with this compulsion, this physical compulsion to keep drinking over and over again. Interesting, Huh? Yeah. So psychodynamic 
was great psychoanalytic which is what they put me in i think most people they go to the therapist and they don't know what you know mm-hmm. kathy what's your theoretical orientation i mean they don't know to ask like we're not trained right. as as laymen to ask like what's your background and how do you practice and we wouldn't even know what it means what, anyway right like I mean, if you said i'm i'm young did and i, I go, when Good i for started you. Right. right you look yeah. great you're so, young i don't know what you're talking if you're about you're young you taught you do like a lot of dream analysis like who the hell would know that like just i would come into the and world I don't dream. The light. So that'd be yeah. useless right. Right. i don't have any dream like you do you're just not aware of them yeah i'd say blank right the screen is blank also when you walk into those offices, psychodynamic, psychoanalytic therapists are trained to not respond to you. So like awkward moment from the first time you meet them, you open the door and they don't say anything. And you're like, That's did bizarre. I do something wrong? So they, it literally like preys on people with high anxiety and neuroses, <laughs> which is why they're perfect together. But I, I've never liked them. I really haven't like a, a slant toward cognitive behavioral solution focused. Take, take what you have that you're dealing with right now and whatever has peppered it in your past pair it with that so you can explore it but then you know the past is past you're here so you can learn to move forward right you know and if there is something that you remember that you're kind of going oh my god i think this has to do with that great we explore it but you don't get stuck in it right you know I think that's the way my therapist is. I've yeah. never asked her. I've been with her forever. Right. You wouldn't think to ask her. That's the funny thing. No. So I, I educate people as soon as they call me. I say, what are you looking for as far as a therapist? Because this is my theoretical orientation. This is how I work. So if right. you're wanting to like rehash everything from your past, we're, that's not who I am. Right. You know? And no, I'm not going to have you four or five times a week on my couch because I feel like that's taking an injured bird and breaking its bones over and over again. And not, like, not healing it right. Right. I want my people to leave and right. then come back for like a touchstone visit when they're going to college and they're trying mm-hmm. to make a decision about should I stay home or should I go far or getting married and they want two sessions about whether or not he's the right one or she's the right one you know nothing where they have to stay stuck oh it's I love just, that yeah that's really great well that also came from an experience of one of the therapists I went to where <laughs> I tried to detach and they were like oh no I think you need more and my parents wouldn't believe that I was like I'm done right so I was so resentful I'm like how dare you take somebody who's in a position that you know you're in a position of power and you make them feel weak when they should feel like they're doing empowered better. right yeah. Okay, so you go to school, you decide you're going to do this type of therapy in school, mm-hmm. and then how did you fall into the addiction piece? So I so I felt mm-hmm. like I'd covered therapy from 7 to 13, like I was done, I didn't need to do it anymore, and I could probably do it like the back of my hand. Right. I went to school, um, somewhere in there I dropped out of school uh, to pursue other interests. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> with you and your uncle um, <laughs> and then I, it was a good time we were in the same place uh, and then I came back to school and I didn't know what the hell I wanted to be right and when I came back I said to my friend Nicole what are you going to do and she goes ah, I think I'll try social work I'm like yeah alright me too oh, <laughs> interesting and so I found myself back in the field again and it just it was I, I literally all my life from like elementary school all the way up until the second year of college before I left was C's, D's, B's, every report card going back to first grade. She has so much potential. Like her IQ's high. We don't understand what's wrong with her. Like you were bored. She's special. Didn't care. (laughs) You were bored. Didn't care. Well, I also, I had a trauma. You know, I, I had a trauma, but I also felt like I knew I didn't fit in. My brain was, I was emotionally intelligent. Mm-hmm. So I was picking up on every single nuance of people around me going, oh, she doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's looking at me funny. I must have done something wrong. Ooh, you know, like I was so hyper aware and hyper vigilant 
that I felt like everybody else had the book on how to do life and I didn't. Mm. So I was just tired all the time and I couldn't, I just couldn't control all of you in the classroom and sit there and pay attention at the same time. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was just exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> finally, when, you know, when I was doing my experimentation, it was like, oh, I don't give a crap about anybody. This is amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and when I came out on the other side of it and started doing all that work, it came so easy to me to be able to read people. Right. Straight A's from the second year of college on. No way. Graduate school, dean's list, straight, not a, not anything under an A. That's amazing. Except for statistics. Oh, hell <laughs> Which yeah. doesn't count. That was no, a C plus, way. and I hated I it, say. and I wanted to kill my teacher. <laughs> I hate but that, Other too. than that, every single class that had anything to do with psychology was a straight A, and I didn't even try. That's amazing. And graduate school after that. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I guess this is what I should be doing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's how you know, isn't it? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. effortless. And it's something that you like doing. And like right. Kathy said, I loved helping people. I loved having people come in and feel better when they left than when they got there. You know, I mean, that's not always the case because you excavate stuff. No, but right. you see progress. You see like, progress. Like even if it's not in that moment. Right. Like over time. Yeah. Same as Girl Scouts. It is. You see pro- progress. You go, oh, look I at that. I like Girl Scouts. <laughs> when look I was working that. with foster kids. Right. <laughs> and the and the energy that Girl Scouts have. No, when I was working with foster kids, sometimes just making the connection with mm-hmm. them was like gold. I mean, you go home on cloud nine because the kid trusted you. They tried something that worked and they were happy. And you were like, oh, my God, thank you. It's like the best feeling in the world. I, I had yeah. that kid in Mr. V's class in kindergarten. Uh-huh. Oh. One kid who would not crack a smile all year. And toward the end of the year, she smiled and actually chuckled. And I was like, I got her. I got her. Oh, my God, I got her. So I know exactly what you're talking about, although I didn't work in that field. That one kid, I was like, that's worth the whole year. Yeah. Because I got her to just, for one second, let her guard down. Yeah. Because she was not giving me anything but the big middle finger Uh every day. And I was like, I am the funniest person in this room. (laughs) I am so fun. You can't even understand what he's saying half the time. I know, right? even speak English come on come on give me something and then she did and I've had her ever since then ever since then when I say something to her she smiles and answers me and I don't think she answers everybody do you know what kid I'm talking about I do I I know I don't different year you missed the class okay (laughs) I wrote down a bunch of questions (laughs) let me see if I okay I think we did talk about this is there a difference between a genetic addict and and a trauma triggered addict like is there a difference? Well, not exactly, because you were talking about a heavy drinker versus someone who's genetically addicted, right? right? But I truly believe, and you know, check me on this. But I truly believe there's a genetic component, and I think, you know, it's it's been proven. They have talked about it in medical journals. Mm-hmm. I, I, it doesn't mean everybody's going to be an addict who hails from an addict. It just, and it's nature versus nurture. But it's kind of both. I feel like there's the predisposition for it. Mm-hmm. And then there's if it was triggered or not. Right. So if you already have a kid who feels like I'm not understood in this world, I'm not. They're primed. Right. They're just waiting for something to set them off. Right. And then given the opportunity, it hits them. They are more likely to become an addict because they already have the genetic predisposition for it mm-hmm. but it's they say it's like 50 percent of the sib mm-hmm. of the offspring yeah so it, it's just crazy it's crazy it's a roll crazy. of the dice it's like huntington's korea like that's the yeah. same you know like it's all which is another awful disease that affects 50 percent of the offspring well but, um we call it the hot singlet in this house the hot <laughs> singlet you know what a singlet is <laughs> singlet is a part of your brain i guess I went to this place, this neurologic, neuro-linguistic institute, uh-huh. where they did like a scan of her brain and what's... Like a functional MRI? Yes. Yeah. 
And there's a part of your brain called the singlet, and it's the part that helps you like regulate, self-regulate. Okay. And part of a division of their work, they did one work with like kids and developing brains, and they did they had a whole other division that just dealt with addicts. And they were like, oh. everybody who has a hot singlet isn't necessarily an addict, but everybody who's an addict has, has a, hot a hot singlet. singlet. Yeah. And Isla has a hot singlet. And I was oh. like, fuck, oh. don't tell me Isla has a hot singlet. No, I'm the whole time, she's in high school going, are you doing drugs? Are you doing drugs? I'm going to make your singlet even hotter. Yeah. Because I'm obsessed with, are you doing drugs? Because you are predisposed because you have a hot singlet. So, did you know anything about the hot singlet? I didn't know about the hot singlet. No, <laughs> I, I don't. I know um, there's a guy, Dr. Amen, at the Amen Clinics who does functional MRIs, and he like addicts brains light up like Christmas trees right when he does his MRIs but he also shows it's pretty amazing he shows the capacity for the brain to heal itself once they stop right which is amazing it is amazing yeah. it's like your it's like your lungs right it can really heal right uh, if, unless it gets to past a certain point right yeah. once it's past a certain point then it's kind of just mush right wet brain um, so do you approach treatment differently for someone who's just a genetic, straight genetic addict than someone who's a trauma but still genetic, I, I would imagine you'd have to, right? I mean, not always, I don't think, actually. No? I think, kind I mean, I mean, bottom line, you have to deal with the trauma. Like, if you can't address that, then you're never going to address the, the addiction. The addiction. Right. Um, but I don't know. I think it's hard. Somebody who's just genetically predisposed, like there's still some trigger that makes you start. Right. And once so, they start, right, they they cause more triggers for themselves. Like as they go, like I, I like to call it, as they circle the drain down, right? As they're circling the drain, <laughs> they create more drama and more angst and anxiety for themselves by doing things that they never thought they would do to get more you know sometimes girls right. go down much faster than boys mm -hmm. right. they find out they can use their body to get stuff oh. they can't you know right and did people do that in your shelter too some a little bit my kids were young they oh, were okay. like that's i mean they were early like late middle school <laughs> early high school but yeah <laughs> they were definitely discovering that females have the ability to get things for free Oh, by doing fuck. certain things yeah. like it's it's so sad i don't think i could work in that industry it, it's it would break my really heart. Heart. it depends hard. to what i mean i had but, gangs in napa state i had gangs and so we were out we were like suburban boston okay. so we didn't really have a lot of gangs okay but, because the gangs have a whole if you want yeah. to be jumped into a gang it's gang rape what oh, yeah wait so my first, wait a minute my first client at napa state wait 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 wait, wait. yeah the girl has to agree? Correct. Are you kidding me? No. And my first client was a 12-year-old who was what? pregnant. Oh, my God. Because she wanted to be in a gang. And her parents didn't understand why it was a bad thing that she joined a gang because gangs protect people. And that's why she was a ward of the state and seeing us. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, I mean, that's like if you don't have good family background, that's where nature and nurture both collide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what they're getting in the way of resources is literally nil and void. That's the worst thing I have heard in a long time. Oh, that's not even the worst case. <laughs> What's the worst? The worst case I had that made me stop working at, I was at LAUSC. Um, What's LAUSC? Down, downtown oh, County Hospital. County. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, that was an eight-month-old with a torn labia. Oh! <gasps> 
Yeah. Oh. That's what that's what made me stop working there. Yeah. I, I couldn't. That's, and they teach you in social work school. I mean, you remember this. What, what do they teach you disgusting. about judging the, your client? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> well, it's yeah. laughable, right? Right. Yes. I mean, you, you're, you're supposed judged. to be neutral. Neutral. Like, to not you, judge the person who brought suppo- that baby right. to the hospital. You never know who's walking into your you don't Office. know what their pain so you is. You don't know what. Right. right. So you're supposed to be neutral with the offenders. And this guy and he in all like I tried so hard. He did bring the baby and say, I did this to her. So I gave him kudos for that. I was like, you know, you obviously want to stop or you wouldn't have come here and brought yourself before me and known that you're going to be arrested. Right. But when the cops came. Because I would take the baby to this trailer. We had a trailer 11 over there, which was a trailer with a culposcope, which is a special um, mechanism with like super high magnification to be able to see any tears or bruising when people are sexually assaulted. And when you were there, you had to go with the kids into the room to right. kind of help comfort them while they had their exam. Right. And this was an eight month old. And he came in and I said, like, obviously you want help and you want to stop doing this because you wouldn't have brought her and admitted it if you didn't I said but I'm really sorry I have to turn you over to the authorities while I go in with her and I talked to the officers outside I'm like look I get it just please don't do anything until I come out right I mean they they took him for a perp walk did they They did and 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 half of me didn't have an issue with it right because i was holding this baby and half of me was like it's not okay to do that and i but i verbalized it i wasn't like hey wink wink don't do anything yeah i was like you guys really i mean you're here with me i know that there's nothing wrong with him right now i'm citing that there's nothing physically wrong with him right now and he's bringing her in so if something's physically wrong with him when you bring him back we have a problem because i can't right ethically present that that didn't happen and they're like okay and they took him and they beat the crap out of him I definitely think more than 50% of me would have been like, fuck, yeah. Yeah. I put on my report that he didn't have anything on him and nobody followed up. But I did my part. Like, you know, ethically, "Hmm." you're okay. Yeah. They should have shoved a broom handle up his ass and see how that feels. What what a horrible human being. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that baby did not go back to their house ever. No. Oh, no, no, no. She was taken to foster care. Yeah. That night. But I mean, but still, like the fact that, yeah, because mom didn't show up to pick her up either. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Poor little baby. Yeah. So that's the How long worst ago was case that? I've ever had. That was 2003. Wow. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. But that stuff stays with you. Well, yeah. yeah that's talk about trauma. Yeah. Parents who are poisoning their kids with arsenic. What? Yeah. what? I, I had the most what? interesting case I ever oh had God. was this cute little adorable kid who I loved. I just adored him. He was delicious. And his little brother was even cuter. And the mom brought them to treatment all the time. It was at the same place. And the kid said he wanted to be called a different name. And everybody, they, they committed him. When I was off for the night, they, they called the 911 number our our on call number and they committed him to a hospital um and they said that he's wanting to be called a different name he's obviously experiencing schizophrenia blah 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 so i wake up the next morning i get all these calls i go in to see him in the inpatient and i just said you know so tell me why you're saying you want to be called by this other name and he said i'm named after my father and I'm like, what idiot didn't ask you this question? Like, right? Why did they just totally traumatize you by locking you down? So we got him out that day. I'm like, you're like, who 
locked him up? Like, are you dumb? What what resident psychiatrist thought I'll have my first child inpatient experience tonight? Right. So I, I it was ridiculous. But that literally was his coping mechanism. I don't want to keep being called my father's name. His father was the one who was sexually abusing him over right. and over I again. So that out. Yeah. I'm like, you know, and I had to go against him in court and he was Oh was my he? God, was he evil? I was so happy to get out of there. But I'm like, if he makes me feel like this, I can't imagine what he made those boys feel like. Poor thing. Yes. Yeah. People should not be allowed to have kids. Yeah. Well, they had a great story. <laughs> they ended up okay. Dad went to jail and mom was very supportive. And But yeah, it, I mean, hello, ask a few questions. <laughs> right. Simple question. That, that makes the most sense. You know, right. my hairdresser changed his name for that same reason. Yeah. He changed his name because his his abuser had his same name right it's yeah. an association why wouldn't you want to get away with that why yeah, that, you know? yeah. definitely um uh who do you think has a better chance of recovery is there any type of person that has a better chance at recovery than another type of person are they uh smarter faster hmm. brighter uh better family not better family more independent dependent who anybody or is it just a big bag of whatever? It's. I don't think it's a big bag of whatever. Well, what do you think then? I, I'd say stronger support says, unfortunately, most alcoholics and addicts are extremely smart, very charismatic. They've built up, you know, this resilience to being questioned about their disease. And, you know, they know how to negotiate things very well. But for me, I've always seen time and time again with a strong support system that they fare much better than the ones that don't have that. Mm. But it also has to be a smart support system, one who's not going to be codependent to the end, right? right? I mean, although I don't know, like I always go back. I know you've read this book, but um, there was a book I read called Strong at the Broken Places mm-hmm. um, in grad school. And it was really that there is this factor that you just have or don't have that may make you more successful in sort of overcoming trauma or whatever. Right. Like, Yeah, you definitely need a strong support system, but some people still can overcome it even without that. Like there is this factor that isn't necessarily identifiable. It's not like, oh, because you're smart, you'll be more likely or because it's like the boys in the hood syndrome. It's the weed that grows in the, you know, like that unbelievable fortification of like internal desire to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. They're like unbelievable. Where you're just like, I am going to make it regardless of what happened. And you can't predict that always. Yeah. That's also genetic. don't Don't you think? It's it not learned. I don't think it's learned. Inst- it could be sur- it, it could, could be, be survival limbic. instinct. It could be yeah. pr- primal survival instinct. Right. Yeah. Right. That despite this genetic complete cornucopia of crap, I'm going to make it through anyway. And right. Yeah. It's a mute. It's almost like a mutation, you know, yeah, like, <laughs> right. it's like the X-Men. The exactly. The X factor. It totally is. The X factor. The resilience the mutation. Yeah. Um, I read the book. Kathy's yeah. talking about strong at the broken places. I'll put it on my website. I'll put a link. I, it was a very hard book for me to read because really? I, even with my childhood, never thought of myself as abused, mm-hmm. so to speak. And when I started reading that book, I was like, are you kidding me? me this is I didn't think of myself as a victim Mm -hmm. like that you know I knew that I was a victim in some ways but not the word abuse to me is someone is the eight-month-old right is the, the the people who are poisoned by arsenic it's but it's not it's actually a much wider array my psychological and emotional stuff oh yeah was almost as abusive in some ways as being hit constantly and you know but 
I never looked at myself as as an abused child until I read that book. Thanks, Kathy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know I kept, I think I texted you and called you the whole time yeah. going, I, I can only read it in short Increments. pieces and then I have to sit it down because it's so heavy for me to have to process my feelings about things I had already processed. Right. Right. I'd already processed this incident with my mom and now I have read this and now I'm processing it again through this filter of wow I can't believe I made it through that and I can't believe that happened to that little girl right so now you're processing it as an adult who loves themselves who's kind of taking it walking them through it again and healing themselves as they walk through it as opposed to I have issues with my mom and I have to get through this and I have to love myself and that happened and I forgive it but now it's like oh my god let's look at the layers of the onion it is peel it back a little bit more and look how raw that was and you know it's that reparenting it's kind of an ownership of it right you know you don't want to own a wart right but sometimes the wart can't be removed right and you you have a choice you can spend your whole life hiding it or disguising it or one day you can go this is my wart i I mean what am i going to do about it is my wart but there's kind of a grieving and an acceptance that goes with that you have to grieve the loss of this maybe imperfection or um you know, you, you all have the storybook ideas of your parents and of what you read in books and what you see in movies. That's this amazing thing that definitely was not my experience. And you, I, I think at some point, at least in my brain, you always thought that was possible somehow. Right. Somewhere in the world, I will get that love. I don't even know if it's specifically from your mom but that love doesn't come from anywhere but your mom right you know that's the, there's only one person who can give you that really in a complete way and once you figure out that's not possible it's very devastating where as an adult where you go wow i really missed that thing that almost everybody else gets right why did i miss it am i a piece of shit right you go to uh, that un- am i unlovable of course why yeah. would, why wouldn't i have received it if i wasn't unlovable yeah. yeah and then you also go to the place now you heal through that and then you go to the place of no that wasn't me i just got a broken oldsmobile right that's what i got i got to drive to school in a broken oldsmobile where everybody else was in a brand new mercedes right so I, I, that's all I got. And but the hard part about the emotional and you know psychological trauma is for a lot of kids they don't get to say look at my bruise look mm-hmm. look what's happening ah, to me. And right. so I get kids in my office because I see a lot of middle schoolers right now and they they're incredible <laughs> they're like their parents bring them in for that initial session and they pretend to be that norman rockwell family and i'm like okay let's not get ourselves why are we here yeah right like you're in my office yeah so something's not going right. right so stop fucking pretending like it is right, right you know right. like and i'll tell the parents like thank you for the information and then they can scoot and from that point on it's the kid in my relationship with the child and you know i say to them exactly what you can say in here that won't get out of side of these walls and what you can say that will trigger a response for me to contact your parents like anything with self-harm or harm to others or you know right behavior that would end in them having an issue and we're very just you know they ask me any kind of question they want right off the top mm-hmm. like what about this what about that what about this would this trigger response and so that they kind of understand the breadth of it mm-hmm. and then they start feeling comfortable and they start saying things to me like well you know my mom's not as perfect as she like tries to make it out with you Ooh. and I say I don't doubt it and then all of a sudden they come in with their phone and they say can I please play you something of my parents screaming at each other <gasps> and I say well let me put it to you this way I believed you when you told me I had no doubt 
But if you want to play it, I'm happy to listen to it. Right. But you don't need to for evidence because I understand exactly how you experienced it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll play it and sometimes they won't because they're like, oh, God, maybe this will, you know, like really corrupt the relationship she has with my parents. I'm like, it really won't. I, you know, I get it. But when they do play it some of the time, I'm like, holy crap. Right. Like, you're the well one. <laughs> Just so you know. And I'll tell them, I'm like, you're doing great. <laughs> Just so you know. And you handled yourself in that argument phenomenally, even though you knew you were being recorded. So I'm going to say that like 50% of you was really holding back there. But, you know, even so you had the presence of mind to be able to do that in the midst of this argument. You know, right. they love it. They love being able to have a place where they can finally go. This is the emotional crap that I go through that nobody can see on the outside it's the validation it's totally validating because a lot of times you get kids that are home and they just take and take and take Mm -hmm. this abuse from their parents and they have no one to share with they don't have a sibling they don't have an adult who actually understands and sees all of the family dynamics and so it's it's so freeing for them to be able to go see look what's happening to me yeah i think that was my experience georgia went to see a therapist because she was having sleep anxiety Mm -hmm. and uh I was giving her the tools that I had, which I am no professional. And we were, of course, fighting back and forth because I'm mom. Right. And that's part of that dynamic, too, uh-huh. is mom doesn't know anything. Right. And I totally got that. So at a certain point, I was like, we need to go see somebody professional. So we went to see this lady. And the number one thing that helped was validation mm-hmm. was the therapist said to her, your mom was giving the, you these t- tools, ABC. A and B are correct. C was totally wrong. And all Georgia heard was mom was wrong. And she listened to everything that doctor said, did it to the letter. We had three visits with her and she has never had sleep problems again. And I believe it was the validation she needed, which is fine. I kept saying to Georgia in my house, I don't need to be right. I I just just want to help. I just want to help. But in her perspective, I think she just thinks I just want to win. Right. And I really fucking don't. And I don't know how to say any other way than I don't care who's the winner. I just want you to go to sleep and sleep well. So let's go get some help. I told you so, about that Untangled book, right? Oh, I've read it. Oh, yeah. I'm about I'm going to read that. it again. I love that. The whole thing about being them being on the inside of the pool and pushing off against uh-huh. you as you're literally the parameter, you know, the, yep. out the perimeter of the pool and like how it just it kills to have them push off from you and they want to be connected but they don't want to be connected yep. you're like get hold of yourself Bert and I were talking about this this morning um, where I said you know that book said they they want to be fiercely independent and they're incapable of it right and guess who they can't be fully independent from mom and dad yeah and so who are they gonna be pissed at right mom, mom and dad, dad. because right. they can't do it without mom and dad but they want to so badly right. and so they blame mom it's your fault right. that i can't do this which is entirely untrue right but they're so immature as they should be they can't figure that suss that out in the moment there's yeah. so much shit going on in their brains and it's that's a whole nother podcast right <laughs> which i would be happy to discuss because i actually thought to myself today after we've had we've had quite the week with Isla the insane person that I'm living with <laughs> I thought I read Untangled but I read it when I was really busy mm-hmm. and so I don't think I got everything I needed out of that book I read it partly and I listened to it partly yeah. and I think I need to go back and read it and I'm finding that I am remembering things better when I read an actual book yeah. and not a device 
because yeah. I can't mark anything on the device. I know you oh. can, but I can't find it again. <laughs> so what difference does it make if I mark it if I can't find the right. freaking thing I'm looking for? You like so, to flip through the pages and I actually hate, see. Yeah. I, I, I reading on a device. I can't read on a device I either. Do I can it. do an audio book and I'll actually internalize it more. Oh, oh no, I can't. Because no. I, I don't. I zone out a little bit more. Oh, see, and I'm more. I'm more audio than I'm an audio learner. So I oh, can't. I can like. Be like, oh, I was on the 405 when I heard that piece. Like, no, it, I can't do that. Uh, I can't no, do that. I'm yeah. a visual. But I do yeah, love I being able to mark and like flip back to that Me page too. and see that was the front of chapter two. I remember and Me too. That yeah. and how to raise an adult. Oh, that's she next. Oh my god, I'm reading times. that right now. I told, I, yeah, we, yes. we, we, oh, we both talked about this. Of course, yes. She was phenomenal. Well, that's yes. another Very, podcast too. Yes, we're going to talk about that. Yes, because. We're reading a book now called Better Than Before. Uh-huh. That's our next book club right. for this podcast. After that, I want to read How to Raise an Adult. Yes. And then after that, I want to read Untangled. And then I'm out of book ideas. But okay. I'm sure we'll come up with one or two more <laughs> in the course of these podcasts. So um, what is the worst substance, in your opinion, a person can be addicted to? What's the worst one? Crystal meth. That's what mm-hmm. I think, too. What do you think, Kathy? I don't know. I mean, that's a really good one. <laughs> I mean, I got to <laughs> say, like, if you're going to be like, that is a shit yeah, show. I, I get that heroin Why is it is, a shit I get show? Oxycont- Oxycontin's a close second because, you know, you, you can get it so easily. But crystal meth, I've seen. Have you ever seen Faces of Meth? No. Oh, do yourself a favor and watch it. It's amazing. Um, When I was teaching psychology at LA Valley, I would play that. And the kids in my class were like, oh, oh my God. It shows mugshots of people from the first one to the second one. Oh, my God. And you see them. It's like, it almost looks like claymation how they just dwindle and get and it's rapid on. it's rapid it is like, rapid and it's easy to hide it comes in powder you can smoke it you can sh- snort it you can shoot it heroin's a little bit more gentle no it, no but it, it it's harder to find hmm. crystal's huge in the gay community huge yeah. like they and it promotes the ability to kind of sustain an erection and it, it just Keeps you skinny. Yeah. Keeps you skinny. It's got the Jenny Crank factor going on. Mm. Jenny Crank diet. It's cheaper. It's cheaper. Um, And it's hard. It's easier to find. It's just, it's floated around, you know, easier. It's kind of like cocaine's, you know, idiotic cousin. You know, like cocaine's a little bit more highbrow. Exactly. (laughs) It's their white trash younger brother. And and I think there's more access to it. And Mm. so because of all that, and it it just takes them down quick and it causes psychosis quickly. It just... And paranoia, right? Oh, yeah. oh like the addiction factor, you. I think, is quicker. And the addiction too. factor the is, what is that ha- yeah. The addiction factor. Like, you're yeah. more quickly addicted to that. And than the side a lot effects. Of other. They yeah. do heroin, and they're vomiting right away. And not everybody can get past that. You know, right. like, you got to push through that. But <laughs> 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 well, with the crystal, you don't get that. You're just flying high. So it's a different... It's yeah. rampant in the South. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Meth mm-hmm. in the South is... Just, and, you know, up in Appalachia is oh. so, <laughs> so bad. Uh, it really is an epidemic. Yeah. I think meth in and of itself. And what does it do to your brain? Does it just eat your brain Cooks up? It. <laughs> yeah, it's like the eggs on in the frying pan, yeah. right? This is your brain on drugs. Like, so then... Can you recover from that? Like what you were saying, your brain can recover. Can it really recover um, from math? I truly believe that your memory is massively affected. I've really? seen a lot of clients who have said that their short-term memory going forward in life has been affected by that. Really? Now, I mean, alcohol can pickle a brain. You get wet brain from drinking too much alcohol for too long. I mean, I've, I've known friends who've lost parents to it. What is but wet brain? Wet brain is when you drink so... I forget the medical term for it. I it's don't know. like... 
I think it starts with an L. I forget the medical term, but it's so much alcohol that your brain literally turns to jelly. Oh. Yeah. My friend's dad was institutionalized for that. Oh. And then what happens? Your body just starts shutting down? It's almost like you're on, you know, uh, life support. Your, Your body continues, but you don't have the ability to think or process like normal people. You just kind of go down to borderline intellectual functioning level and wow does it affect your autonomic system i don't know actually i don't know if i don't know it it doesn't in the capacity that he can breathe he was able to breathe he was able to you know but i don't know just the complexities of what it does beyond he was basically wow. a vegetable. That's a know, lot like of alcohol. No self-care. Like Literally, nothing. like no ADLs, no ability to tend to self. Yeah. Wow. He was awesome. he was institutionalized from like, God, I think in his 50s on. <gasps> and he died there. <gasps> Holy How shit. Long? So you can't well, recover so from it. I want to say like 20 years. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, no, there's no recovery. That's from crazy. That's a it's, lot of it's alcohol. It's like your brain has been, you know, encased in formaldehyde, basically. Like, oh. bye-bye. Yeah. Thank you. Warnicky Korsakoff syndrome. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. Wow. Thank Warnicky Korsakoff. <laughs> Ooh. Sounds terrible. Yeah. So meth is hands down, you think, the worst drug. I, I think it's much faster um, than that. It takes I, years yeah. to pickle a good cranium. <laughs> it does. It does. I think it does. Yeah. Right? No, you're right. I, yeah, that yeah. is very long term. Like, yeah. that doesn't happen quickly. No. It's not something. Whereas crystal meth is not well, nearly as common either. Yeah. yeah. No, I've never even heard of it. Well, it's not. I mean, you could jack yourself up with B1 all you want. Still not going to, you know, alter the course of it. But yeah. Yeah. But oh, I mean, crazy. also, like, how many incidents do you think happen with? I mean, incidents can happen with drinking, too. But like, I think they happen much more rapidly with coronary stuff with Crystal. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the drinking is more like behavioral stuff that right. happens driving you can drive on crystal too that's another thing you drive on crystal and coke you're very alert and vigilant you know (laughs) fuck that man Uh, no way you also think you can Uh drive your car through another car because you are superhuman right Uh, there's that i managed an apartment building for years and i had this client i had to go to um i had to go to like a learning seminar Mm -hmm. about being able to identify drug users as a resident oh how funny uh, did that. It, it was fascinating and did you kick them out like why what if you identified one well is it was against policy to do drugs on the property so you Got had it. a reason to evict them oh, it was okay. a legal re- right to evict them um the legalization of pot changed that ever so slightly oh. but um illegals truly illegal substances like meth right was definitely on my list of what i learned about so (laughs) i had this one resident i was sitting in the seminar and they were like do you have a resident that details his car in the middle of the night and i went hi (laughs) i do and they're like do uh, do you find that pieces of appliances are taking apart to the tiniest piece and i went i do i do although that could describe manic behavior which could also be bipolar so don't judge this guy and then they're called tweakers you know that right yeah tweakers they tweak on stuff oh he was a fucking tweaker they tinker like tinkerbell at night yeah they just 
And he'd knock on my door two o'clock in the morning. This was before Bert, and I oh lived by myself. My and I'd be like, "I'm not answering that door because you are out of your mind." Right. And, well, anybody who's going to knock at two in the morning, right? Unless there's you know houses on fire. Yeah. Like yeah. There's no yeah. There's no urgency there. There's no understanding of what like a boundary is and like no. normal sleep hours for people because no. they're little vampires. He checked every meth box. Yeah. Everyone. And That's then. I had to do an inspection. I have to inspect the apartments. And I went in his apartment and was like, oh my God, the stackable washer dryer had been disassembled into every teeny tiny piece and was spread all over the living room. He had disassembled the dishwasher entirely. And he had had put padlocks, uh, not padlocks, deadbolts Mm -hmm. on on, on every, every door in the apartment <laughs> on the I- inside so he could lock himself in a room uh-huh. and no well, one could get in the room bathroom bedroom closet door had a lock yeah and then there was one wall they were coming to get him they yeah. were someone yeah. was definitely no, they were it had a lock him. and the chain yeah yeah did he have did he have rashes on his face i did not notice that you know what that's from no sticking your head under the door to see if there's are you kidding so not kidding <laughs> well there was parquet at the door oh so he went uh, to okay, okay. No maybe parquet. a splinter you did him a solid you did right. him a solid so parquet, yeah. but then i went in his bedroom and there was this burn mark up one whole oh. wall and i was like you're fucking evicted dude yeah, and you right. were so out of town yeah. and his dad was a very wealthy guy from arkansas <sighs> who paid his rent yeah. And he paid his rent on time every month. Mm-hmm. He had no because his daddy paid it. Mm-hmm. And I had to call his dad and say, I think your son has a problem. And I think you need to come get him. I think you need a visual inspection of that problem. Exactly. <laughs> I and I was like, I am going to serve him papers right. immediately. But I think you should come get him. The attitude I got from his dad was yeah. not to be believed. Well, he uh, knew he had a problem. And uh, he was happy to have him in an apartment. Right. And you were doing him a disservice by making him move him again, probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> it was awful. It was one of the worst things. Yeah. That, and I did have someone who had a serious eating disorder who continually backed up my whole stack of plumbing. Oh, I called God. her the chicken lady. Because we would pull like whole pieces of chicken out of her uh, toilet line. Oh my! Where God. she had just chewed it and then and vomited. then vomited yeah. it. And did you ever see Girl Interrupted? No. Oh my God! She was also a hoarder. <laughs> this woman, Chicken Lady, was a hoarder too. Brittany Murphy <laughs> was the resident eating disorder, like personality disorder, and she <laughs> was like, she she was addicted. To, she would have just roast chicken. That's all she would That's eat all to control herself. And then there was this whole scene where she talks about her daddy, who was obviously touching her. That her daddy got her an apartment, and it has an eat-in chicken. And they're like, you mean kitchen? She's like, that's what I said. <laughs> well, this woman had to eat in chicken, too. Yeah. Let me tell you, I pulled so much oh chicken God. out of the garage. I kept going. Then when the plumber came the first time, I was like, <laughs> what'd you pull out of there? Chicken? He was like, it's chicken. I was like, oh, you mean like, like chicken you eat? It hasn't been digested at all. He's like, nope. I was like, are you fucking kidding? Had he seen that before? Yeah, he had seen oh, it before. Yeah. Plumbers, but I'm sure. I had never right. seen it before. Is, yeah. But when you go in her apartment, I could do a whole episode on just the people I rented <laughs> apartments to. I'm sure. Her whole apartment had a path, right? A path to the uh, kitchen, a path to the about bathroom. Control issues, right? And the and the bedroom was completely full. She it's slept on the OCD. couch. Yeah. There was a path to the couch and floor to ceiling, paper towels, Lysol wipes. Oh yeah. And Dr. Pepper. Uh-huh. Floor to ceiling. Well, you could run out of that stuff one day, Leanne. But, right. I mean, covered the windows. That and the shoes. 
13 uh, size shoes and, yes. and hats. You should have <laughs> that. And then she started calling him the chicken guy. There you go. Because she was the chicken lady for years. And I had to let her go, too, because oh. I gave her housekeeping warnings over and over again to clean up. Mm-hmm. Because the fire department. Yeah. The fire hazard. Could, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They couldn't yeah. even get in any window. Yeah. And if that shit caught on fire, yeah. we'd be... Everybody the whole building blown up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. you imagine eight thousand cases of Dodger Pepper <laughs> well, exploding they, at one time. They, they could yellow <laughs> tag you. <laughs> they could totally yellow tag. You. I know. Yeah. So I, it was actually really serious. And she was first of all, she was a nutritionist for a living. Stop it. Swear. And second of all, Stop she it. went <laughs> every time. I, I mean, can you imagine? I was like, no, really? Uh, no, I can't. No, because I'm just thinking like, can you imagine can. like if you were bringing your child to her and you had no <laughs> right, clue? You had no idea. Well, no, she looked <laughs> You should anorexic. only drink Dr. Pepper. Right. Yeah, right? right. You have Lysol wipes <laughs> on hand. At right, all right. She had big knots on her knuckles, you know, oh. which is where they yeah. drag their right. knuckle on their teeth when they're vomiting so much. She had calloused oh. the two fingers on her one They hand. also have like very oh. wide she did. She did. She had a very yeah, wide yeah. face, very skinny. She probably weighed 100 pounds, oh, maybe yeah. soaking wet. Um, but every time I would serve her this notice, she would fall so completely apart. Mm-hmm. It was so difficult emotionally to to go through with her because I was like, you are clearly mentally yeah, ill. You're not right. healthy. And, and I don't really know how to make this easier for you, but I can't allow this behavior. Right. In my, uh, my job is to protect the 38 other units mm. that live here. And right. I can't allow you to have cockroaches and Ugh. chicken in the drain. <laughs> and you're on the first floor, so now the second floor, third floor, and fourth floor are backing up because of your behavior. And I can't... It was awful. But... I felt so bad that none of this has anything to do with addiction, but it's a pretty good well, story, right? Well, is she an addiction to chicken? I was going to say, yeah. She was addicted to chicken, Dr. Pepper, my soul, wives, paper towels. Come on. She was addicted. So when you're working with addicts, how do you keep yourself healthy? How did you? <laughs> By also uh, being addicted. No, right. <laughs> right. By taking your flask out of your chair when you're done with the session. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There, I mean, there does have to be a certain level almost of detachment, although that sounds so cruel, mm. but there does have to be a little bit of that. Although I don't, I mean, it's part of that non-judgmental piece that we're trained to do. Right. Like, not that that's super easy, but... I don't know specifically with addiction, but I don't, for me, it's humor. It's, it's humor? Yeah. A he, lot of humor. Keeps you healthy? Oh, and I use it with them. I use it to challenge them. Interesting. So they'll say something like, I don't have a problem. So I'll <laughs> say, okay, and I, I understand you, but just, so let me break this down. Um, you're losing your job because they found a bottle in your desk your wife served you with divorce papers. Your kids said that you smelled of alcohol, um, but you don't have a problem. I'm like, so on the surface, I feel like I'm finding it hard to grasp. Like, you know, like, <laughs> right, right, right. And they'll, I mean, sometimes they'll laugh and be like, 
well, if you put it like that, and I'm like, well, I feel like the world is putting it like that right now. Uh, and I'm like, but challenge me. Give me another direction to go in here. Right. You know, like, show me how you are correct. Right. I'm open. Right. You know. Enlighten me. Go along, Howie. Come on. Like, give me something, you know. <laughs> they won't. They can't. They can't. And so if they can kind of laugh at themselves a little bit. Right. You know, then I kind of say, like, so my question is, do you want another way of doing it? Right. And if you do, ask me because I'm not going to force feed you. So speaking mm-hmm. of another way to do it, is there any other way to deal with an addict besides the 12-step program? I think water seeks its own level. <laughs> I, they will find ways like rational recovery is one. My problem, my problem with the other ways is that most of them are money-seeking and AA is not. Most of them passages is a bunch of crap. I'm sorry. I don't know what that. I don't know what that passages. means. It's a <laughs> Come, center. Right? Call me if you want. It's a center in Malibu where they purport that they can help you get sober without the twelve steps. They are so crooked. I've I've personally seen people who've worked there. I mean, I've treated people who've worked there because so I know the inner workings wow. of it more than most would know. <laughs> and they're full of crap. Um, but. Uh, aside from those companies that will take $30,000 from you over and over and over again and purport that they have 100% success, which is totally untrue. But what do they do that's different than the 12 step? Therapy, group therapy, basically. Well, but they, it's also like you're in a center. Right. Like you are removed from the world. Right. Whereas so, 12 step so program, so living, come with not. me. Let me just take you away from everything you could possibly right. be okay. using. All right. Except right. certain facilities will give you a little something to take the edge off. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. So as they you, place you in a bubble. You, exactly. Much, yeah. With no skills to right. then Anybody can make society. that. I well, mean, yeah. Jesus, right. you can't get out and do anything. You can't, you're going to be successful for those 30 days. Right. You know. So then the guy that wrote A Million Little Pieces, I'm sure you read that book. The one who Oprah didn't vet before she had him on her show. Right. That <laughs> Poor one. Poor Oprah. But his method, if his method, if he, if he had that truth in the book, mm-hmm. right? If the, if the truth of how he recovered is true... Was he really an addict or was he just a heavy drinker? What was his method? I don't remember. He um, he found the root of why he started drinking and then dealt with the root and then the drinking stopped. Yeah, I think that's an age-old battle that AA has had for years and they don't really care if they lose or not because right. millions and millions of people have gotten sober in AA totally. without mm-hmm paying a cent unless they want to pay for the in the meeting you pass a basket like you do in church and you can give a dollar or not give a dollar to support the rent like there's no requirement to pay anything right at all even if they're given the basket they can pass it on and not do anything for the entire time they're sober totally um because other people will gladly give because they're like well thank you for saving my life here's a buck you know yeah um so I think because they're open and there is no one person that runs it, it's not governed by anybody except the people in it, mm-hmm. uh, and that's constantly rotating. Right. They feel like you can feel whatever you want about us, but we're going to stay sober. Right. So at the end you of the can day. join mm-hmm. us, right. or you don't have to join us. Right. And that's kind of how I do it with my clients. If, if they come to me with a problem and they want a solution, I say, this is the free option that's worked for millions of people. There are treatment centers. You can go to treatment centers. It's like basically boot camp mm-hmm. and get ahead, you know, jump start if you feel like you're too weak to be able to handle this yourself and like put it down and go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Maybe treatment centers better. If you, I had an agnostic 
and did not want AA for the life of him. And he tried rational recovery. Um, What's rational recovery? It's like 12. Basically, it's the same damn thing, except they don't say God. Okay. That's it. They don't say God. Right. And people are so stuck on that that they, you know, I mean, and I know addicts who are in an AA who are Buddhists, atheists. They just don't say the word when it's time for like holding hands at the end of the meeting. Right. They're like, whatever. Screw it. I don't care. I believe in, you know. Buddha. Yeah, exactly. Or, or Grover. Nothing. Like is whatever it, they The word right. is a universal word. Right. People, people get hung up on the word. Right. They have another problem Don't want entirely. to get sober. Right. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. my guy a was, had a massive issue and he decided to go to rational recovery and they stuck him for a bunch of money and he ended up going to AA on his own. But I won't force anybody to do anything. What I found is they all gravitate toward AA in the end. Right. And they're successful. So why do you think AA And works? I get no kickback for it. <laughs> um, because I think it provides them with the community. It, it give, There's a book for them to read mm-hmm. to understand what the problem may be or the history of it or why these people have sought help. There's... F- f- um, fellowship there's a bunch of other people in various stages of their disease working toward the common goal Mm -hmm. there's stories all the time of people getting up and sharing their experience of what happened to them so they're relatables and i you know i think the best test to see if you have a real alcoholic or a hard drinker is you take anybody who's having issues with alcohol and you put them in a meeting of aa if they don't laugh they're not an alcoholic Interesting, because these people will tell their stories, and they and if you're an alcoholic, and they'll say, I've, I've seen some meetings where they're like, and if you laughed, you're fucked because you're one of us, and it's so it's so true. And the people you, I would I would go and give cakes to clients who had a year of sobriety, two years of sobriety, and they would bring their family, and I would look at their family who's sitting in the meetings, and these people are saying things, and I woke up in bed having pissed myself again. It was like, ah, and the parents were like, oh my god, did he just say that he urinated on himself? And you're like, yeah, get over it. They're addicts. They do that shit. Right. And they're all la- Why are they laughing? It's very morose. I'm like, no, they're relating to each other. They love that somebody else just got up there and shared their story. And nobody in here is judging them except for you two fuckers who need to put, you know, a better face on because right. your kid's up there right now, you know. And they just, they don't get it. They can't relate. They don't think it's funny. Right. They can't say, oh, they just think it's horrific. It's very, and they pity the alcoholic. And the alcoholic's like super happy to found their people. Right. So I think that, that kind of makes up for the family that they didn't have we also think there are so many pockets of aa like you can find your people young like if this meeting doesn't work there's one two blocks away that might work for you like the dynamic is always changing i feel like there is a massive support system there i've got i've taken clients to ones in rodeo that were (laughs) shit your pants funny i mean Uh because all they talked about for an hour was how their housekeeper didn't show up that day and i was like oh my god my lord are you kidding i can't believe she would do that to you you know like seriously you should drink i swear I mean, right I'd yes drive you to drink right yes. there you go back to it because i think you've earned it this week oh my <laughs> you god you know what was marta thinking you know what was marta thinking how dare she and then she? there's other like na meetings and there's ca meetings and like al-anon yes yeah. al-anon's amazing i've heard that from so many people that al-anon is a life-changing place it is it is um, it helps anybody involved with an alcoholic right um well uh that sort of answers my question because I've always wondered why there's only one proven method. Why? I mean, I know there. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I get that. But well, there's antabuse. What is that? 
Antibuse, it's amazing. It's a pill that they take that's that gives them a visceral, physical, like just vomiting reaction anytime they drink boobs, booze. So it's like they'll they'll take Antibuse and like I think it's effective like maybe twelve hours later or something. Oh really? It's, yeah. It's super old school. They I think developed it like back in the sixties or something. But they take it and then they literally will violently vomit, and it's kind of a physical. Way, barrier to them drinking. It's like a spanking. Exactly. But it's more like an electrocution. Like it's awful. <laughs> oh. It's awful. Yeah. Oh. So they'll do that to people to kind of help them self regulate. So right. you can go that route if you want. <laughs> that sounds a lot amazing. less gentle, you know. Right? It doesn't really help you change your behaviors or your it way of thinking. It does modify it for the time that you know you're on it. Uh, but I mean, your behaviors right, but, outside the, right. the triggers and whatever. Else. Yeah. I mean, I have. L- very little knowledge of what goes on in AA. I read the 12 steps a thousand years ago. Oh, super dry if you don't have context. I don't, it's so <laughs> weird. I uh, mean, unless you're in there and you like hear what it actually looks like when people are working those steps. Right. It's a very bizarre, you know. I'm really glad you said that because yeah. I read it going, a fucking dummy can yeah. come up with this shit. Right. But then you're right. It was out of context because I was just reading it at home going, huh. I'm curious what those 12 yeah. steps are. Like I get teenagers <laughs> you know? that go into treatment and they look at them on the wall. They're like, all right, I read them and I did them. Whatever. Right. Good to go. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> you got this, sweetheart. You can, you can leave now. Right. You did sure. all 12 today. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's what yeah. they'll do in the they're meeting. Amazing. They're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Done, done, done. Got it. Okay, fine. Whatever. But you know what's yeah. interesting? I remember when I read them that some of the steps I did in those seven years of being sober, uh-huh. not knowing that I was doing that. Right. Like going back and apologizing mm-hmm. for, th- for wrongs. Yep. Isn't that one of the steps? Yep. Mm-hmm. I did that. That's and your amends. And I also um, gave away things I was obligated, I felt obligated to hold on to because mm-hmm. of my relationship with my mother. So like my mother was very into giving me jewelry. It was jewelry she chose. It was nothing I liked. Right. It was something she liked. But it, it, was, it was a payment. They were payments. Uh-huh. They were not gifts. Mm-hmm. They had strings attached. So I remember realizing that while I was reading one self-help book, book or another mm-hmm. and laying all the jewelry out and giving one piece to each of my cousins and going, I want you to have this because this is a really a pretty piece of jewelry right. and I think you would like mm-hmm. this piece and you should have it. And it was very hard to do. It was really emotional yeah. because I was saying to myself, I don't need you, right. mom. Mm-hmm. I don't need you. I'm, and I'm not accepting what we've been in agreement right. to do. Right, exactly. I am I'm now strings, rejecting right. the agreement we right. made. Right. Uh, it was really hard. But I think that might have, in some weird way, been a 12-step. No? Yeah, it was letting go of your character defect of mm-hmm. you hanging on to that relationship with her. Is that a, is yeah. that a step? Let, yeah, letting, letting go, go of your, your character, character defect? defect? Absolutely. Well, that was the only one I had. So, (laughs) But after I remember reading it going, yeah, I did go back and apologize to this person for acting this way while I was drunk. Yeah, that's a ninth step, making amends. But see, maybe I did the 12 steps all on my own. Right. Well, that's, I mean, it's, I think what they've done is they've, they got together and they thought about what could we do to help these people heal. Right. They need to do a 
fearless searching moral inventory of themselves and let go. What they did was they found a way to process the traumas that they were experiencing Mm -hmm. to, and that's one of the things they say is you cannot regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. You can't have these traumas haunt you and think you can hide them away in a closet and you never have to deal with them again. Right. You have to acknowledge them you know, as Stuart Smalley says, like, trace and erase them. Like, that was a Trace little, and erase. Just kind of like, uncover trace, like, trace and erase. How um, funny. It was very funny, but it's very true. So you have to look at what's ailing you, kind of open it up, explore it, excavate it, let it out, and not be ashamed of it. Because if you're ashamed of it, you're going to want to hide it. Right. If you don't Which look at it, it's... the drinking. Yep. It yeah. starts the cycle all over again. So that's... They basically took a psychological principle and applied it and just put God into it because they were like, if these people aren't going to rely on family or right. therapists or they need a higher power to yeah. say like, okay, give it up. Just give it up to somebody. We don't care who it is. It can be an it's invisible faith. thing. Right. right. Have the faith and, faith, yeah. and just keep moving forward. And so they kind of put that all into one little 12 steps program, mm-hmm. right. Where people could kind of follow the steps and mm-hmm. you'll be free. Right. Just keep doing everything enlisted in front of you and you'll, you know, hopefully that's also one the of the side. huge successes is that people need direction yeah Yeah. and it is very clear it's very clear you do this then you do this and you do this like it's very clear cut yeah if you want to be successful do this and i've never met anybody who has successfully completed them and not been able to maintain some sobriety now they've slipped but if they've actually gone through all of them Mm -hmm. more often than not they have had success and it's crazy to see the difference the transformation it's insane yeah so it's like why you know why wouldn't you yeah you know so interesting i'm gonna have to go back and read them again because i really now that we're talking think that i maybe did a lot of 12 steps on my own i had a sponsor Mm -hmm. not really it was scott the reiki Reiki guy guy. he was right i was talking to him all the time about what i was going through right and that's like a sponsor they say Mm -hmm. rarely you 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 never want to stay as sick as your secrets so you have to like have one person you trust i did that that's your sponsor Mm -hmm. i totally did that and and i was in therapy Mm -hmm. and you know i you know i have talked about this so many times i feel like i'm harping on it but when i was date raped in college i'd buried it Mm -hmm. and i was in a movie theater watching some stupid movie like mr wrong or something stupid and it came out out, and i grabbed the girl next to me and i got i gotta tell you this right now or i'm gonna bury it yeah so we went back to my apartment i told her the whole thing she wasn't my person i told all my secrets to right but i knew that she did to be out yeah right i needed to not if i didn't say it right then i was just gonna put it right back in right and hide it so i'm so fascinating i'm gonna have to look at the 12 steps again and if i did the 12 steps all on my own i am a pretty phenomenal human being right (laughs) (laughs) but i I do drink but i i'm not that right i didn't i still don't I really don't have a problem with alcohol or substance or pot or I don't have an addictive personality. Right. It doesn't come out in every pore of your life. It, I don't right. have it anywhere. Yeah. I am obsessed with noth- nothing. <laughs> they I mean, say it's like a disease of more. If one is good, a thousand's better. Yeah. No, I definitely don't have that. Yeah. Right. I, but Bert makes fun of me in Georgia because we're like, no, one donut's good. Oh, no. Uh, and no, he and I not. are like, I'll have eight, I'll have eight, I'll have eight, and I'll oh, have no. it for lunch and dinner. Yeah. And uh, Georgia and I are like, well, I, any more than one, and I'm really sick. Right. One is good. Yeah, yeah no, good. there is no, it's a that's disease self regulation. See, that's, yeah. and that's the piece that they're missing. Yeah. It's exactly. the hot singlet. It is it's the, the hot singlet. singlet. Yeah. It's the a hot topic, that hot singlet. It's the hot singlet. Yeah. There's no self regulation. There's no self discipline. There's no ability to kind of you know 
look at the long-term picture and go like, maybe eight donuts is going to feel kind of bad in a few right, hours. Right. No, like, they don't have that. No, there's Or the even now. to learn from it. Right. Like right. last time I had eight donuts, right. and I felt like shit. I'm still going to have eight this time. A hundred Because maybe percent. I won't. Yes. You're like, what? No, in fact, it's this time it's going to be different. Right. And, this time and, it's right. going to be That's different. That's the main, the main right. tenet of like all, all of the alcoholics will say to their people is, you know, you suffer from insanity and insanity is the idea that you're going to do the same thing again but you're going to anticipate a different result right mm-hmm. like that, that's the insanity of the drink is like oh my god you're going to eat those eight donuts yeah. again but you're going to think this time it's going to be different because you've been working out twice a week or right because, like yeah. or because these donuts aren't deep fried like or, I mean, that happened sunday today's tuesday right, totally right. different day totally different yeah. day i had different meal earlier and so you know this is going to be different this time yeah that's the great denial that they fall prey to well, yeah. two people in my house live in that great denial. <laughs> right. Two of us are pretty regulated. Yep. The other two, ooh, I hope I can give Isla a little more. I've tried to give Isla a little more regulation. It does yeah. not help when, as I said in the house, there's one sheriff and three outlaws right. in my house. <laughs> and one outlaw self-regulates herself, but will definitely go down the outlaw path. The other two are just guns a-blazing. Fuck! you sheriff wonk wonk right. <laughs> we're doing whatever we want you know um so if someone's at home uh-huh. listening to this podcast <laughs> thinking that they may have a problem mm-hmm. how what advice how would you say here's how you tell like for instance this thing stuck in my head a therapist told me a long time ago about dealing with my mother who has personality disorder stuff you only deal in fact Fact exactly. is undeniable. Right. So what fact should they be looking for to go, huh, maybe I should start exploring help or treatment? Any facts you could give them? My favorite facts that I always give my clients <laughs> is normal drinkers don't think about how much they're drinking. Interesting. <laughs> like they don't sit there and go, I'm going to the party and people are going to have a glass of wine. So if I want more, I should probably have some before I go. I mean, normal people don't do that. No, I definitely they just don't. Drink. Right. They might say we're going to a club tonight and the drinks are going to be $75. So I'll have a drink at home with my husband before I go. And then maybe I won't drink at the club because I'm not paying that. But they won't say like, you know, well, we're going out. It's going to be this many hours and I should drink this much on this much bread. And blah, blah, blah. Like they don't calculate. They just go and like if they feel like having a drink, they'll have one. And if they don't, they won't. And it's just it doesn't cross their mind. There's no planning on how to get more and when they're going to have it and how much it's going to. You know, so I say if you're spending a lot of time trying to regulate your drinking instead of yourself, <laughs> you might be a redneck. <laughs> you know, like you might be a redneck. Uh, if yeah, so I and I tell them go try a meeting, and if you relate to those people, you're screwed. You're screwed. I tell, I tell them after. I tell them after because I don't want to give them the heads right. up that they're screwed. Oh my so god! Because then they'll be like, I don't relate. Right. I don't relate. I'm not relating. So I, you know, they go and they're like, if they were like, oh my god, they were so funny. I totally like identified with so much of what they said. I'm like, E-e-e. and there's a pamphlet. I think it's called the Twelve Questions. Is it the Twelve Questions or the Ten Questions? Ten or twenty. They have different ones for different programs. But if you can actually look at it online and take the test of like if you suffer from these issues, you might have a problem. Okay. And AA will never tell anybody you're an alcoholic. No, right. You go for yourself, you find yeah, out, yeah. you figure it out, you self-diagnose only. So nobody's right. going to like suck in to the vortex and keep you there. It's a very easygoing place. Right. But. So if you're thinking about planning, strategizing about your drinking day, you may want to look a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Any Anything else? 
I also think if you're sitting there thinking, huh, I wonder if there's an issue. Chances are there is. <laughs> you should probably just yeah. go with that. Yeah. Like if you have to sit there and think, oh, maybe my drinking's a little bit more than other people's. Right. Like if it enters your mind, mm-hmm. like if you're even questioning it, then yes. maybe. And, but however, there are people who fear being addicted to things and so they will just self-analyze because of that and that's their mechanism of being able to stay away from it so you know it's like the introspection isn't bad Mm -hmm. but if they take the pamphlet and they look at it and they hit eight out of ten markers then maybe you know you know what direction you're going into but if you're just kind of vigilant about it because you have many alcoholics in your life or you've had it in your family you know, I always say, like, the craziest person doesn't think they're crazy. Hell no. The craziest person asks himself, you know, I mean, the craziest person does think that they're not crazy. The people that are sane ask themselves, am I nuts? Am I crazy? Right. Yeah. <laughs> because they're they're doing that self-evaluation and right. they, they want to stay sane. Yeah. The crazy ones that are like, I'm great. You know, there's no problem here. <laughs> right. Well, I will say this about my journey with alcohol. I never did any drugs. Pot makes me throw up. I've smoked pot four times in my life. I've thrown up all four times. No can do. And my daddy scared me so bad about cocaine, I never touched it. He was like, one time, one time. Oh, yeah. And you're totally addicted. Your life's over. I was like, forget it. (laughs) Never mind. But going through those seven years of sobriety and that deep exploration and excavation of pain and figuring out who I was was so hard and scary and completely invaluable. I am so happy with myself, as happy as I can be. Everybody's, nobody's 100% happy with themselves, I'm sure, but I'm, I'm really happy. And I think if I hadn't gone through, hadn't been willing to walk into totally uncharted territory, because you know what drinking does. Mm-hmm. You know what that living is like. You're already living it. So to be able to go, no, I'm actually going to shut that life down, take a hard left turn, and just see where it takes me, right. takes a huge leap of faith. And if you don't believe in God, I, at least I think I've always believed in God or the universe or my, but during that time, I called it my higher self, right? The self I wanted to be the self that knew what was right and wrong, that the lower self was drinking herself into not dealing with, right? Because sometimes to be the higher self, you have to do hard things like self-regulate, mm-hmm. like go to a party and not drink, which doesn't seem hard for me now, but at the time it was very hard. It was impossible. Yeah. So I looked at that impossible thing and said the exact same phrase you're saying about insanity, I said to myself in those years over and over again. If you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, you are insane. Yeah. But I think what holds a lot of people back is the fear of the unknown. Because really from that point forward, you build it yourself. And that can be really scary. And it can be the most amazing, empowering, liberating thing that you can imagine. But it does shift the relationships with everyone else in your life. Mm -hmm. Some positively, some negatively. Some go away and never come back. And others form that are more valuable than I 
could have imagined. I never thought I would be in a place to even have friends that I can't imagine living without, which is where I am now. Right. You know, we talk about moving from time to time, and I'm like, I can't go anywhere. Yeah. I have Kathy. My people. I have Sandy. Yeah. I have all these friends that are my family. Yeah. I, the person I was when I was drinking could never have formed those relationships. Or kept them. I could never have formed them. You could have met them. I could have met met them, them, but I could have never formed those deep, meaningful relationships because I was numb and in denial of who I was. So if anybody's listening that gets any help out of it, I guess I would say to be brave, to dare to be great because it takes greatness to go to AA and to say, I'm going to do these 12 steps right. because I love myself that much and I deserve it. And let me say, if if anyone has a problem with higher power or God, that whole concept, I knew a sponsor who told one of my clients, who I thought was fan- fantastic, go out to the ocean and put your arm out and just tell the waves to stop. Right. If you can believe that the ocean is bigger or if you can believe that your sponsor who knows how to live their life like that is bigger than you and that you know because some people are so damaged they can't see themselves as having a higher self right so they need to externalize it to have leanne's higher self is telling me to do this so i'll i can trust that she knows how to do it totally i look at her and she's bright-eyed and she's happy and she's doing life i'll trust her i'll borrow her right and that's acceptable too and i'll say for nobody who's been to an aa meeting they're not a bunch of 75 year olds walking around with beers in in bags <laughs> I mean like <laughs> there are high powered executives there are celebrities um, for the women out there there's really hot men women out there there's really hot ladies there's school there, teachers there's, there's every walk yeah, of everybody. life um, mm-hmm. you're not gonna see as many physicians because they have their own closed meetings now mm-hmm. and so do, so do a lot of rock musicians but um and physicians but they you know do they meet together the musicians and physicians no yeah they actually did have a musician physician meeting in in michigan it was kind of amazing but but they have they have their own privacy because their practice would be ruined because people as much as we don't want people to judge they judge and people are flawed yeah yes right it's okay they don't talk about it it's extremely anonymous nobody in that meeting wants anybody knowing that they're in that meeting so all, of the, all of them are in the same boat they have like you secret know, doors four different entrances i mean you can tell a meeting like they're all smoking outside at the break or in the beginning but right. once they go in everybody's exactly the same right and i just want to say you will see all walks of life from people wearing sporting all gucci right. to you know the the bus that just came in from the recovery center with brand spank and new adolescents who don't know what the hell they're doing there but are scared out of their mind so it, it's a it's a fascinating place and they should check it out and not be scared to not be scared to yeah. not be scared to go through the process of growth yeah because it really is a growth process oh, I think, yeah. to grow through something like that. I, I always wished that for my uncle. He was such a dynamic, intelligent, bright, funny, amazing artist, drummer, f- just a great guy. Yeah. And I feel like he really missed out. You know, he missed mm-hmm. out on life by being completely numb. Yeah. And being awake is so much more exhilarating than being drunk, you know. Yeah. So, if you can be mm-hmm. awake pain free, which is what right. any right. of those programs help you or therapists yeah. help but you. But the to truth do. is, pain is life. Yeah. Pain is well, life. Well, I mean, tra- yeah. I guess in constant pain due to trauma that's unresolved. That's right. Yeah. But not the, you know, the not pain, just your typical. If you allow it, pain carves 
the crevice that mm-hmm. you can fill with joy. Right. But you have to allow it to do that. Yeah. Or it or it just sits there as pain. Yeah. You know? So if you let it leak out of that crevice, you can fill the crevice back up with something else better mm-hmm. with joy or fulfillment or purpose or mm-hmm. whatever. Resilience. It is. Resilience mm-hmm. with love, with tacos. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining tacos. Tacos would be good about right now. I could eat a taco. But um, anything you guys want to say to close on addiction? Anything you, you'd like people to know or think about or reflect upon? I mean, Kathy's just going to go I do some heroin. So. Right. She's going to go yeah. do heroin. <laughs> no. And I know I think the one thing is really that it's okay if you're in that place mm-hmm. and you want help, then get it. Like it's not, it's not a terrible life sentence that you are addicted. There is a way out. And if you're willing to take that step, if you can, then you should. And people will help you. That's really. Yeah. I I mean, I concur. I think it's not most of the clients that I've had that have been addicted when they got to AA were like, oh, my God, this is what was wrong with me. Right. Mm -hmm. And oh, my God, now that I know what's wrong with me, I actually have steps I can take or, you know, whatever it is that they choose to help them get sober, a program that actually helps me do something about it. But before it's like they were asleep and they didn't know what was wrong with them. Right. So, you know, now upon finding out what your diagnosis is at the physician, you get the treatment that you're supposed to have to fix it. Mm -hmm. And so it's been more of an eye-opening experience and kind of a light going on than anything else. Right. And I guess if I could do anything, I would just wish for people to not feel shame about it. Amen. Because it is so rampant. And, you know, the house, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. I go to my one of my children attends a very prestigious school and I was at one of the games and one of the parents was reeking of vodka. Mm. And this disease affects everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Yes. And I don't care what your economic background is, what your cultural background is. It It is an equal opportunity seeker. No color lines. No right. color lines at all. Nope. So, you know, don't be fooled into thinking that, you know, you're the only one that has this problem and nobody's going to understand you. That's so, the thing. Yeah. The nobody's going to understand you is a right. lie right. that you tell yourself or your inner self tells yourself because that's not true. Right. There is nothing sexual trauma, emotional trauma. There is nothing. I, I can't imagine can anything that right. someone can't relate to right now it may not be your mom that can relate to you but someone on the planet can relate to you i mean yeah. i just did a podcast okay. last week uh, or, or the one that came out this week was about moms and, da- and dads we did two back to back where there, i have two friends who have the same mom as me right pretty much and two and the same two friends have the same dad right which is bizarre yeah. but that i think the message that what the one of the reasons i started this podcast to, uh, a couple was so that i could learn because i'm super curious and i like discussing things like this because i end up learning from it about myself and about life and about people and the other thing is i feel like i have so many life experiences like what i was talking about with all this drinking and craziness that other people can relate to and go uh, that makes me feel not so alone. So everybody who sent emails saying, hey, I'm so glad you did this because now I don't feel alone. Thank you for that because that was part of my purpose was so that 
I, I felt terribly alone. And I also didn't grow up in a very verbally expressive household. So no one said, you know, I'm feeling frustrated because you didn't put away your laundry. <laughs> you know, that's not how it worked. It was like, go put your fucking laundry away. Now. And, that was, yeah. and, and you know, and so I didn't learn how to express my feelings verbally. Right. And I think sometimes having someone articulate what you're going through when you don't have the words to articulate it can prompt change, right? So if someone's listening and they say, I feel that way, but I could never put it into words. Right. Now that you have the word for it, that's one of the reasons I read self-help books all the time is because I was looking for the words for what I was going through right. that I didn't have. I mean, come on. I grew up in a town of 1,800 people. Well, a lot of words going on there. The words <laughs> yeah. are pretty basic. So, and I don't, I don't blame that. That's fine. But right. my insatiable need to read all this self-help was to give me words for what I was going through. So perhaps someone who's listening to the three of us today could have that happen too. Is to go, I didn't understand that this was happening for me. Right. Now I understand it. Now I can do something differently. And interestingly enough, the last step in AA, the 12th step is after you have had they say, you know, an awakening from this and you've completed your 12 steps and you're ready to do it, you go out there and you help somebody else. Maybe it's by speaking in a meeting and so somebody else hears your experience and connects with you and goes, oh my God, you just told my story. That's part of the program is to not <laughs> stop going to meetings. It's <laughs> right. for you to keep going there and showing up and showing the newcomer like, you know, that yes, that still happens. Yes, it's still bad out there. Right. Yes, it's, you know, this is how I got sober regardless of all these problems I had. Oh my God, you had the same problems. T come talk to me after the meeting. I've like, been where you are. It's, yeah, it's part mm -hmm. of what you do is you give away what you've gotten. Yeah. Sort of mentoring. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I didn't really intend to be a mentor. That's a big word. Just like abuse was a big word. But yeah. at the same time, that's what I hoped yeah. is that someone would listen and say, oh, my God, I also got drunk, parked my car with the keys, the ignition, left the door open, scattered my laundry over the lawn and right. found myself in my bed and Half didn't no memory how I got there. I also ended up in the drunk tank with my uncle. <laughs> right. <laughs> that might be a tall order to fill. And, and someone drunk came to pick me up. That may be, that may be, but not where I'm from. Okay, well, thank right. you so much Sorry. for taking the time out of your day to talk about this because I think it, I think it was a good podcast. I think we talked about a lot of great things. So, yeah covered territory and we got mm -hmm. some ideas for some upcoming right a lot of them so but th seriously thank you very much both of you for yeah. opening yourselves up on this topic i appreciate it thanks Happy for having to be it. here of course till next time well, I got a brand new pair of